Welcome back to Crazy Fans Talk. I'm Sarah. I'm Steve. <laughs> I'm Erica. And we are knee-deep in a series on hard sayings in the Bible. We spent some time uh, a couple episodes ago looking at different challenging sayings of Jesus. And last episode, we turned our uh, Bibles uh, to hard sayings of Paul. So um, we talked last time a little bit about what makes it challenging to read Paul uh, as a voice who's different from Jesus, follows Jesus chronologically, but will point back to Jesus as sort of the central authority. Uh, so all those, all that background stuff we talked about last time about the difficulty of reading other people's mail will hold true again for uh, today, but this time we're going to read a different letter. So where are we headed today, Erica? So today we're heading to Romans. Um we're going to be uh, throughout chapter 5, and everything leading up to chapter 5 kind of deals with this as well. Um, but focusing in, uh, our hard verse for this time is Romans chapter 5, verse 20. But law came in with the result that the trespasses multiplied. But where sin increased, grace also abounded all the more. So that just as sin exercised dominion in death, so grace might also exercise dominion through justification, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Holy cow, is that Paul? Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's a, a lot long, of my... that's a lot of sentence. <laughs> that's a lot of sentence. It's just one sentence. It's yeah. two verses, yeah. but it's one sentence, and it's a lot of big words. Um, so maybe this is a point to add one more additional challenge we have uh, <laughs> of hard sayings of Paul that are different than hard sayings of Jesus. Um, and that is, and credit where credit is due, Jesus is not only infinitely smart, but like a good teacher knows how to take big ideas and make them understandable. Yes. Uh, even if sometimes his, his parables are intentionally meant to like pull the rug out from under us, at least I can picture a lost son or a lost sheep or a cow or a coin <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. And Paul uses much more complicated, mm-hmm. abstract uh, and again, they're, they're often metaphorical or image kind of based words that Paul has in mind, but man, it gets dense awfully quickly. It, it not only gets dense, but like um, his writing style, like as, as we stated, that was one sentence. And that's not even the longest Paul sentence I've ever yeah. read. No. Oh, yeah. um, he, he writes really long, complicated, run on sentences, mm-hmm. and it's kind of hard to follow after a while, especially if you are unlucky enough to have to take Greek. Class. <laughs> it gets Amen. even more complicated. <laughs> and maybe this is also a point to add. One of the things that makes Paul write and think this way is he's trained as a rabbi in the first century. And uh, at least even the way Acts describes it, he's someone who'd been trained by, I think maybe Paul says this in one of his letters too, trained by Gamaliel. So he's, I mean, he's, he's got uh, credentials, but that meant that he sometimes talks a lot of inside baseball and answers questions that rabbis care about <laughs> that uh, other people will not be... So, like, Paul is really, really interested from time to time about the example of Abraham and Moses mm-hmm. and all these uh, Old Testament figures who are important to uh, supposedly any follower of Jesus. But, man, you have to know a lot of backstory that Paul was immersed in. So Paul can rattle off, like from memory sometimes, mm-hmm. verses or passages uh, and be like, oh, yeah, you know, just like it says uh, in, the, in the story about Abraham, and he'll rattle it off. And he, he assumes we're all following along. He doesn't have his own personal copy of the Bible. He just knows it from memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a, that's a challenge. Because, again, like we're like, hold on, let me, let me stick my finger in this passage, let me go back and flip Here, back. Here, where's my Bible? Take me back to right, what's that reference right. again? Uh. And that makes it challenging. And on top of that, rabbis riffing on previous stories or passages 
don't play quite by the same rules of reading that we tend to mm-hmm. these days. You know, there's a lot more freedom in traditional uh, rabbinic uh, interpretation for sort of creative riffing or midrash on stories uh, or passages that allow for a lot more of, well, what do you think it means? What do you think it means? Uh, and you could take it this way. Instead of, we're, I don't, I don't know about, about you all, but I get the sense in a lot of ways that we are taught uh, in religious professional school that we call a seminary, that like you have to find what the right answer is because mm-hmm. you're going to have to preach the right answer or someone's going to ask you for what's the right answer. And um, there are times where Paul will go, like, here's the one right conclusion, and there's times where he'll be more playful and uh, be be more able to play with stories in ways that we might go, is, are you allowed to do that to Bible stories? And Paul's comfortable with it. Uh, and, and not because he's ab- abusing it, but because that's that's how rabbinic interpretation works. Mm-hmm. Uh, all that sort of stands in the background because when you get to this sentence about the law coming in and trespass multiplying and or sin increased, grace abounded all the more, that's sort of the, the hinge verse that you raised, that comes as a culmination to a long conversation Paul's mm-hmm. had about Moses and Adam and he spent time uh, earlier in, in uh, Romans talking about the example of Abraham. All that's in Paul's background. So this is the end of a particularly, not only a long mm-hmm. sentence, but a long train of thought for Paul, right? Yeah, I mean, this is the end of five chapters of Paul. Yeah. Um, and it's, it basically, the first four chapters is all that everybody's a stinker, Yeah. everybody's terrible, everybody's done wrong, everybody is just no good, um, really bad people. Yeah, but it's kind of like this, it, it's kind of like a, the spot where Paul is like Oprah, but instead of you get a car, you get a car, you get a car, it's you're, you're a stinker, single. you're a stinker, right. you're a stinker. And you're a sinner, you're a sinner. And yes. To be fair to Paul, because sometimes he's gotten used as sort of a man, we human beings are such wretches, we're horrible and terrible. Mm-hmm. Paul's point is to pull the rug out from under hypocrites. That like, while he's, he opens out talking about, oh man, those Gentiles, you know how bad and wicked they are. And he sort of has his long list of, oh, you know, the rotten stuff Gentiles do. And he sort of is getting his, uh, the Jewish readers in his audience going, yeah, Paul, you tell them, you tell them. And then Paul can turn his sights and go, and you Jewish people too, we have a whole bunch of rules and we don't follow our rules. So the problem isn't that we're, you know, we're not better than anybody else. And so Paul, as a Jewish writer, talking to those who were Jewish Christians in his audience, can yank the rug out from under them and say, we don't have any leg to stand on. And on top of that, we had commandments that were telling us don't murder each other. Uh, the Gentiles, they have no hope. They worship cows and, you know, and statues and things like that. But we have the commandments of God. So Paul spends the first three chapters of Romans saying, there is nobody who's uh, earns their way into God's good graces. Everybody, Jews and Gentiles, old and young, women and men, everybody's only posture, only hope toward God is mm-hmm. uh, the need for, for grace. And when we get to Romans 5, sort of Paul has sort of put forth and said, all along, God's way of dealing with human beings is on the base of grace. There's nobody who's ever earned their way mm-hmm. in. And it's certainly not by following rules well enough. So Paul even says, by the time you get in the, the biblical story, when you get the giving of the commandments, that doesn't make the people stop sinning. It just gives them a name to describe the sins now, you know? Uh, and maybe that's an important thing to say out loud, because sometimes we who practice respectable religion, uh, the assumption is that we are pro-rules, that we are just mm-hmm. like, well, what we need is more commandments to follow, and that then well, that'll teach us. Or what we need is more big public displays of commandments, because that will get us to follow them better. And it turns out having more big public displays of commandments doesn't make me a better rule follower. At best, it reminds me of all the ways I mess up. Um, but I, I, I'm reminded of that without the big giant displays of it. Um, so Paul's point isn't to say the law is bad, but the law was never useful for actually making us be good. Yeah, the law is just 
showing us and pointing out to us exactly how bad we have been. All the ways we mess up, maybe. And this is one thing that, if, uh, if to use a little bit of our own inside baseball, sometimes Christian theologians talk about the difference between the first and the second use of the law. Mm. That mm-hmm. there's a sense in which commandments are meant to restrain us from doing our worst possible things. If there's a if there's a rule that says don't murder. Oh, and by the way, if you murder, here's the consequence. That might keep me from murdering somebody. Yeah. Or if the rule is don't shoplift, and if you're caught, you'll do time in jail. That will keep me from shoplifting, perhaps. But there's this sort of second use that sometimes theologians talk about that Paul seems to be hammering on, that the law isn't isn't able to make us good little boys and good little mm-hmm. girls, but it points us to our need, that it's always been about pointing us to a need beyond what we could do for ourselves. That idea is, is maybe a challenging idea for a, a lot of us, because we're sort of taught, maybe from like elementary school up, that rules make us into good little boys and girls, mm-hmm. and if we have the rules charted in the classroom, we'll read the rules, we'll know the rules, we'll be good rule followers, and sometimes the problem is, despite my best willpower, I can't do what the, what the rules mm-hmm. tell me to do. I'm not good at loving my neighbor as myself, and maybe that's the really difficult part about all this, is the unpleasant admission that I can't do on my own what God would, would have me do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that to love God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength and love your neighbors yourself, I'm selfish, and I don't want to do that. I want to love me more than other people. I want to love me and my group first. I want to put me and my group first above other people. I want to tell other people they're not as important as me and looking out for mine. And we do it in all sorts of ways. And the commandments all along, we're saying, no, put other people first. No, it's look out for other. love your neighbor the same way you love yourself. And I, I'm not good at My willpower is broken. That's an uncomfortable thing to say out loud. But the good news of this chapter, you know, even though we are stinkers and the law points that out to us over and over and over again, um, beyond what we realize of ourselves, is that there's a way to find relationship back with God again through Jesus. And, and interestingly, I think, what, what at the, the heart of Paul's argument here in Romans 5 is that God's done this before we were need, and before we were aware of our need, yeah. you know, that like mm-hmm. so, uh, Paul will say just a little bit before this concluding uh, piece we read. Paul says earlier in Romans five, um, he says at the right time uh, Christ died for the ungodly, and he goes on to say while we were still weak, uh, uh, God sent Jesus, and that even when we were enemies of God, God's already sent Jesus mm-hmm. as this one who's uh, done this redemption for us, um, and has done what the rules and the law couldn't do. Because no matter how many times somebody shouts me the rule shouts the rules at me, be a good little boy, that doesn't make me a good little boy. I don't know how. I can't do that on my own. There's something mm-hmm. in me that's broken. Uh, and what God has done is to say it was never about your ability to keep the rules. It was always about grace. And ultimately, it's sort of in Christ that that grace is sort of shown up for the mm-hmm. world to get to see. So when when Paul comes along and says when the law came in, there were more trespasses around. He doesn't mean necessarily that the law is. Uh, that it's bad to have rules because it makes us break them more. Um, but it does mean that once you have once once you get into salvation history, once you get to God giving the commandments, and there's a sort of now God's people have the law. There's this sort of even bigger evidence of oh we're terrible at each other, man. We, 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 now we're we're really really not good <laughs> to each other, um, and that it exposes the need all the more uh, that we can't save ourselves. There is no saving ourselves. It's always been about grace. Mm-hmm. That's a difficult admission because we kind of all want to imagine that, uh, well, maybe other people need grace, but really I'm mostly a pretty good person. Or most of the time I'm a really decent person, and I just need the occasional spiritual pick-me-up or something like that. And Paul does not offer Jesus a spiritual pick-me-up. He offers Jesus as, uh, you know, resurrection from the dead. Yeah, and we're, we live in such a society that, that bootstrap society, you know, you have to pick yourself right. up by your own bootstraps. And, you know, you mess up, then you need to do whatever you need to do to 
fix yourself. Nobody else is going to fix you. And Paul is, is saying that, no, you can't fix yourself. Right. You can't do this on your own. But here we have God, through Jesus Christ, bringing a fix for you. Yeah. And it... Um it reminds me, in a way, of the process you, uh, a person goes through when they go through the 12 steps. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, at the heart, at the beginning of the 12 steps in any addiction recovery is that uh, surrender, that sort of, I realized that I, my life had become unmanageable and I couldn't deal with it on my own. And, and mm-hmm. this, you get to this point of turning things over to your higher power. So, it, it, And again, there are reasons that there's resonance between the 12 steps and the New Testament because the, the, the folks who formed the 12 steps came out of and, and, and were uh, surrounded by the, the mm-hmm. sort of flow of, of the Christian story. But there's a, there's a point in the 12 steps where you have to make an exhaustive inventory of all the ways you've messed up. And now that it's on paper, oh my goodness, I can't run from it anymore. You know, like if it's, well, um, I drink from time to time, but I can stop anytime I want. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden when you have to sort of face down and, and, and list, man, here's all the relationships I've broken, here's all the, the things I've blown it because of my addiction, um, all of a sudden, wow, there's something that like puts it in your face, and, and I feel like that's what this uh, this passage about. That when when the law comes in, the trespasses multiply. So when you have to see out see it on, in black and white on paper, man, look at all the ways I've blown relationships mm-hmm. and I've hurt people and all this because of this this problem in me. Um, that's not the end. You don't stop with step four, <laughs> um, but it's that that drives you to the need to see. Oh, I need something beyond myself, beyond. Uh, my own abilities, and that this is more than just my sheer willpower. This is about surrender uh, and and the ability to be beloved, even even before I've gotten through all the rest of the steps. I mean, that's the other thing mm-hmm. too, is that it's sort of grounded in this grace of you're accepted, uh, and the the better and better you get in that recovery, the more and more you're aware um, of the ways you've messed up, and yet aren't bound by that anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think in a lot of ways that's the the plot line for the whole Christian story uh, as well, is that uh, the more and more we're aware of our mess-ups, that, that doesn't lead us to despair, but be like, look, this was never about what you bring to the table. This is mm-hmm. about God's ability uh, who saves and rescues us uh, when all we've got is mess-ups and black marks on our permanent record. And I think something important to remember is that, you know, sometimes, and you mentioned this, Steve, you know, we think that we're pretty good people. You know, other people need grace. I'm a pretty good person. I haven't broken all of the Ten Commandments. I haven't, uh, you know, I haven't murdered anyone recently, um, or ever, you know. But even just breaking one of these laws is, is breaking all of them. And that, I think that's another piece that we're not used to. Is And this is a, definitely a piece of first century rabbinic Judaism, mm-hmm. is this sense of, uh, to, to break the commandments, is to, to break the wholeness of them, and that you can't sort of, uh, partition your life into well there's the personal stuff and the professional stuff and the private life and if I mess up over there it doesn't taint all the other stuff mm-hmm. but th- there's this sense of, of the holism in in uh, Judaism and the Hebrew thinking that because all of us are interconnected to each other my relationship with other people affects my relationship with God affects my relationship to community affects mm-hmm. my relationship to family and if, when I mess up in one place it's not that God is this like petty beam counter it's like oh you messed up lightning bolt for you but more like you know, if you break a vase at one point and there's a crack through it and pieces start falling out of it, it won't. The whole the whole rest of it that isn't broken won't hold water anymore. It's that yeah. same sort of like broken in a little place makes us no longer useful to be what it was meant to be. And there's that sense I think in, in Paul and in the the Hebrew background that, that he was raised in um, that breaking the law at one point shatters the whole thing. Um, so that even if I haven't committed murder. 
when I've hated my neighbor, I've done something mm-hmm. that has broken the, the shalom, the wholeness that's supposed to be there. And I think maybe, as a side bonus, that uh, shines a window on that saying of Jesus about, like, you know, anyone who calls their neighbor, uh, you fool, or, you know, hates their neighbor is guilty of murder. Not because Jesus is saying uh, that it's just, if you're, you're going to hate your neighbor, go ahead and murder them, that you're, they're just bad. I think the point is to say, uh, if, you break, if you break God's intention at any point, you've broken that whole mm-hmm. system. So whether you've murdered somebody or there's this hatred between you and me, that's not God's vision of shalom, of wholeness, of, of peace all around. And to break it at one point uh, doesn't make me better than you because I didn't break the same commandment you did. And that, that's part of what's going on in Paul's, Paul's mind here. The other thing I, I, that comes to mind right now is there's this line of uh, Robert Farrar Capons that stays with me uh, about Jesus. Uh, and he, he says that uh, Christ didn't come to reform the reformable or teach the teachable or improve the improvable. Christ came to raise the dead. Uh, mm-hmm. And Paul has this deep sense about that in his, mm-hmm. in his uh, writings as well. That Jesus is not simply like a moral boost or a handful of like helpful hints for how to be a better person. Um, but this is about people who are messes or people who are dead being brought to life again. And that makes us squirm in all sorts of ways. One, because dead people can't ask for help. It means that God had to swoop in and bring me back to life before I even said I realized I need the help. It means, too, that it's all God and none on me, because Lazarus can't do a thing to raise himself from the Mm -hmm. dead. Um, And it means also admitting that if you are Lazarus getting brought back from the dead, what you bring is your deadness. All I have to contribute is me and my deadness. And uh, if the coroner has said, here's all the things that killed him, that doesn't that doesn't make me feel him, but that just that's that's like the, the, the uh, when the law comes in, the trespasses multiply. Once you've got this itemized list of all, here's all the ways he's dead, yup, uh, I bring nothing but my deadness, and what God brings is the power to, to resurrect me beyond what I bring to the table. Mm-hmm. That's a difficult thing, but that's what makes grace grace. If there's even this little wedge room for, but I have to do my part, right? You've lost grace. You've lost what makes grace grace. Um, and that's, that's uncomfortable for us. Uh, because there's some part in, inside all of us that wants to be, but but I helped, you know, like the old, it's shaking bacon, I helped, you know. We all would be like, but look, and, and some part of this was me. And to hear from God, like, it wasn't about what you brought to the table. You're beloved as you are. It didn't depend on what you bring to the table, or what you do, or what you promise to do, or how well you keep the rules, or the, whether you broke rules that are better rules than the other rules that somebody else had. Um, but no, it was never about rules. And Paul makes the case, not only isn't it, it was never about rules for us as Christians, that it was never about rules even for Abraham and Moses and any of them. That it was never that God said, well, Abraham and Moses, if you keep the rules well enough, you'll get to have it. Later on, we're going to have it easy. <laughs> we're going to lower the bar and just believe in Jesus. But Paul says, like, it's always been about grace. And even Moses doesn't get into God's good graces by rule-keeping. It was never about rule-following. Um, and then it doesn't mean there's no point to rules, but rules have this way of driving us to see that's my only hope. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, why I really like the third use of the law. Uh Because, you know, if it's not about what we do, it's about what God does for us, and it's about grace, then the next question that always pops in my brain is, well, then why do we follow these rules? (laughs) Uh And that is because of the third use of the law, that... What we do is in response to the grace that has been given Mm -hmm. to us. We follow the rules to the best of our ability, which is sometimes not that great, because we're responding to God's love for us by Mm -hmm. saying, yeah, I want to do something nice back, so um, I'm going to go ahead and not kill my neighbor. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm going to, you know, continue to follow the laws and the rules that God has set before me, um, you know, the best I can, because I want to... Know, do something nice back to the God who loves me. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of um, 
that line at the end of When Harry Met Sally, when... Um, <laughs> There's a lot of theology in that movie. Please, hear me out. So Billy Crystal Holt uh, has this final, like, the big dramatic speech. But, like, it's the quintessential romantic comedy. Okay, I've not seen this. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, for me. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> Do I need to step out for this moment? <laughs> this is the reason you should go see it. I, I own this movie. Do you want to borrow it? So, all right. Spoiler alert. If you haven't seen When Harry Met Sally, we'll set up a watching party you can watch with Erica. But at the end of the movie... Uh, Billy Crystal says, I won't say who he says it to, how about that? But he says... It's to Sally. <laughs> <laughs> he says, um, the reason I'm here, the reason they track you down on New Year's Eve is not because I'm lonely, not because I'm afraid, but because when you find the person you want to spend the rest of your life with, you want the rest of your life to begin as soon as possible. Uh, and it's mm. this beautiful line of like, when you found this love that's <laughs> captivated, you, you, want, you want to be a part of that love right away, right now. And I think third use of law is sort of that, like, when you've been captivated by the love of God, there's this, like, yeah, I can't help, but I want to be a part of it. It's not about I'm trying to earn anything anymore. I'm not trying to impress you anymore. This is, this is I, I want to be a part of this, this life right now, right away. Um, and I, th- I think maybe the more we would think about the, this faith in Christ, like uh, being a part, caught up in love story and recognizing what it is to be so deeply beloved, it, it would change all this conversation that Christians have had for hundreds of years mm-hmm. about uh, how well we do or don't follow the rules. Because uh, it's not about that. In any, in any meaningful relationship, if, if it's all about bean counting, that's not a healthy relationship. Um, and instead, if it's, yeah, of course I want to give back because that's how love is. And mm-hmm. it's not about, well, I have to do it now because you did it first and now we have to get even. But it's, we're not playing that game anymore. Um, and if I can get a glimpse of what that's like in human relationships, whether it's with family or spouses or your closest friend where we don't keep score anymore, then at least in some way God, God's love for us has to be like that too that it's not about you, you did this bad thing and I have to do five good things to make up for it mm-hmm. but when you've been met with a love like that you want the rest of your life to begin as soon as possible and it starts you know, even, even there in the middle of the night in the big dramatic scene go watch that movie. I'll go watch the <laughs> movie okay I'm not a big romantic comedy person. I get it. I get it. That's one that's worth it for the sheer theology of it. Especially being single. I mean, those just make me sad. I get it. I get it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's worth it just for the beauty of that line. Okay. Anyway, if that's what's going on. So, so Sarah has, has sort of highlighted that uh, on the other side of recognizing we're graced, the, there's that question, what do I do now that I don't have to do anything? If, it's, if it was never about impressing, yeah, what are you going to do with your life? And, and Sarah's helpfully framed it like, yeah, well, you, you would give back. You'd say thank you. You'd love mm-hmm. back, not because you're worried that you'll get kicked out of the club, but because that's what love does to you. Um, and that maybe the whole Christian life is sort of living out the, I'm loved. I'm met with a love like that. Yeah, I'm going to take care of other people. I'm going to take care of other of, uh, other people around me. I'm going, to, I'm going to love God. But that's why we do it, because when you've been met with a love, you can't not do it, I guess. Um, that, I think, maybe helps, too. That there's a turn from hearing the commandments as don't do this and hearing them as positives, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, like a lot of the commandments in the classic Ten Commandments are prohibitive, they're negative, they're don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't bear false witness. And you can't help maybe but hear those as if you do this bad thing, there's a lightning bolt for you. You know, and again, it's, I get it, there should need to be consequences. You're not allowed to murder, you're not allowed to steal, here's the consequence when you do. But when you get to Jesus, uh, asks the what's the the uh, most important commandment? He puts he, he centers on two that are framed in the positive: love the Lord your God with all your heart, and love your neighbor mm-hmm. as yourself. These are positive things to do. So it's not just I need to avoid these bad things or else I'll go to hell, mm-hmm. but love more and more fully. 
And that's, there's never a point where I've completely done it. There's never a, well, I've done enough loving today, I can, you know, put my feet up, I'm done. But always, always increasing. And those two commandments, you know, love the God, love your God, love your neighbor, is the summary of the Ten Commandments. Exactly. You know, exactly. the first, what, three commandments are the things about how you love your God, you know, don't take God's name in vain, you know, no keep idols. the Sabbath, no idols, and then the rest of them are how you love your neighbor, you mm-hmm. know, don't kill them, don't <laughs> lie to them, right. don't steal their stuff, you know, <laughs> it's all that stuff. It's These are ways in which we love God and love neighbor. And so, in a sense, despite all this drama about when there's a law and when there's not the law, in a sense, there's this through line for all of it. It's always been about love. It's always been through grace. Um, the story has sort of taken these twists and turns about the giving of the commandments and the coming of Christ. But in a sense, Paul lands at it was always about love your neighbor. Don't worry about, am I doing it enough to stay in the club? It was never about that. Don't worry about, is that person over there not keeping the, the rules well enough? Are they, God's going to hate them, right? Don't worry about that. It's always been about grace. And then once you get that, okay, how are you going to live now if, if, you, if, it really, if it really is true that this is never about you earning anything? How are you set free? And what are you going to do with your life now that you don't have to do anything? All right, well, have we uh, su- sufficiently addressed the wrinkles or the hard sayings in this passage? I think so. All right, well, uh, yep. thanks for joining us. We'll, we'll have other fun conversations and hard sayings in future episodes, but thanks for joining us today. See you guys. Bye. Bye.